0: Investing involves risk. The value of an investment and the income from it may fall as well as rise and investors might not get back the full amount invested.
1: Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The mention of any particular security or strategy should not be considered as a recommendation. For further information on the Brunner Trust, please go to www.brunner.co.uk.
0: Hello and welcome to the sixth and latest installment of Connected Investor, the podcast from the Brunner Investment Trust. I'm Joe Lynham, the BBC presenter and former business correspondent. And in this podcast, we're going to tackle a myriad of issues which may affect you, the markets and, of course, the Brunner Fund. As ever, I'm joined by Matthew Tillett, the lead portfolio manager of uh, the Brunner Investment Trust. Hello, Matthew. Uh, Matthew, we're going to take a look at three things today today. One of them follows up from an earlier podcast we did on ESG, that's environmental, uh, social and governance issues, and how companies have possibly started to walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. We'll also take a look at the UK now that Brexit is bedding down and most adults have been vaccinated here in Britain. But before all that, let's do our usual look at the health or otherwise of the global economy. Now, Matthew, three months ago, we spoke about rising inflation fears as trillions of dollars are pumped into the major economies worldwide to try to get them back on their feet after the pandemic. But those inflation fears haven't gone away. Yes, indeed.
1: Um, hi, Joe. Uh, good, good, good to be back. Um, and I think that's, that's a good summary. Um, certainly when it comes to the question of inflation um, it is still very much front centre of uh, investors' minds. Um, I'd say similar to when we last had this conversation, though, there's a bit of a debate going around whether what we're seeing is just a temporary phenomenon, um, given some of the base effects from last year, uh, and just the extraordinary situation that that we're in. Um, and, you know, I think kind of everybody knows that we're going to see some quite high inflation prints, certainly over the next few months. But there's the question really now is, does that continue into into next year and the year after? Um and, and similarly for, for the economic recovery more generally, um, I think the same question is, is is valid as well. Um, and that's true for for us as investors looking at stocks, because when you look at the valuations of companies that are um, say inflation beneficiaries, you know, some of the cyclical businesses, uh, they they've been driving the market really for the last few months. Uh and valuations there are you know, they're, they're discounting certainly a, a return to normality, I would say. Um, so the question for, for me has really moved
0: beyond you know 2021 and really into 2022 and beyond now. I wonder, Matthew, whether the Republicans in the US are inadvertently doing uh, a favour to the global economy by blocking or at least retarding some of Joe Biden's big spending plans. He, As you know, he wants to spend something like six trillion dollars uh, over the next few years. And the inflationary impact on that could be huge, but the Republicans are savaging that number back. I wonder whether that's an issue.
1: Yes, well, they're they're, they're doing what they always do, aren't they? Which is, uh, uh, you know, be fiscal conservatives when they're in opposition, but when when they're in power, be uh, very happy to spend. Uh, spend spend lots of money um you could you could be right um i mean i think there there is clearly going to be stimulus spending though um you know one way or another it's i I sort of get the sense with with the democrats and biden's approach that they they're sort of going in with a very sort of high number and and then there's probably lots of bargaining that happens behind the scenes uh, and they'll probably end up you know somewhere where they thought they would be initially um you know, compare that. Compare these numbers to you know what we had coming out of the global financial crisis. You know, there, you know, it's clearly a different environment that we're in um, from a fiscal pers- uh, yeah. perspective, and and that's true. I think here in the UK as well, uh, you know, there just isn't the appetite for austerity, uh, and
0: uh, yeah, that, and that, that is you know quite a different backdrop. It's extraordinary, the difference from whatever, 12 years, 13 years ago, the attitude to where back then it was cut, 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 slash, uh, whereas now it's spend, spend, spend. I just wonder whether China, because China is rapidly accelerating by the looks of some of the reports I've been looking at over the last two days in terms of orders, consumer orders, production and all that kind of stuff, whether China might actually start exporting inflation around the world. Rather than deflation, which it had been doing uh, for the previous decade.
1: Yeah, it's, it's possible. I mean, we have to remember, of course, with, with China that China uh, kind of came out of uh, COVID earlier than they sort of went in first, and then they dealt with it, you know, well, relatively well, if, if we are to believe everything that we're told. Uh, but it looks like they did deal with it, you know, relatively well. See, they used some fairly harsh uh, policies in order to deal with it, um, but then they, their economy came back. Yeah, much more quickly because of that i and it is quite a domestically driven economy these days as well um you know you know big uh domestic uh consumer and
0: uh, business industrial sector 1.4 million consumers yeah. potentially 1.4 billion consumers uh, is a is a huge domestic market
1: yeah um so yeah i think there is an element of that, and, and, it's, and i say yeah the the, the wage differential I, mean, I think we talked about this on previous podcasts the wage differential between you know, China as the sort of exporter of the world and, and, and other parts of the world is not what it was 10, 15 years ago. So you don't have that same kind of deflationary uh, deflationary kind of
0: tailwind to um, export tradable goods prices that we had in the past. And um, the G7 group of industrialized nations meet over the next week or so. Uh, they're meeting in Cornwall and they're going to talk about corporation tax and setting a floor of fifteen percent. I just wonder, Matthew, how that w- will affect global markets, given that there are some very big companies that might be affected by that, if that is forced through or pushed through or agreed, and whether it might affect uh, the portfolio.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's, it's it's mainly targeted at a, a few kind of very large companies that that uh, have, due to their business models, uh, most of them are in the technology sector, are able to bangs. Yeah, yeah, fangs. Yeah, um, uh, but they, but because of the way their business models work, they're able to 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 use quite a quite clever corporate structures, and it's not it's not illegal. Um, it's just easier for for asset like companies to do this sort of thing. You know, you can you can sort of do transfer pricing and you know um, book profits in certain areas relatively easily, uh, and they, those companies have effectively been paying much lower rates of tax, despite. Um, delivering masses of growth and um, you know, having huge revenue bases. Uh, so I think it, it's, you know, it's mainly targeted at those companies and those are the ones that be most impacted. They are quite big in the index. Um, so, you know, if it does happen and does have the impact, you know, it, 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 in, to the extent that the, 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 um, the finance ministers are talking about, then that would be a one-off negative um, for some of these companies. Uh, but clearly there's, you know, lots of, you know, not. Uh, there's a long way to go yet in terms of the details, um, you know, and, and how it would actually be implemented. Uh, and in terms of our exposure, I mean, we we we're, we're a bit. Um, I'd say I'd say we're sort of underfanged, actually, relative to some of the other global uh, global. Uh, underfanged. Trust. Yeah. Um, you know, Def- Microsoft's, Defanged. Uh, yeah, defanged. Yeah, um, Microsoft's our biggest holding. Um, they'd probably be impacted to some extent, but you yeah, know, Microsoft, you know, is already. You know, it, 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 I wouldn't say they're the, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest sort of offender if you can call it that. In this, this regard, they already pay quite a lot of tax, um, so I'm,
0: I'm not, I'm not too worried about it to be honest. From from our our own portfolio perspective. Stay with me, Matthew, and we're going to be talking about uh, ESG very shortly. I think that brings us on nicely, Matthew, to our next subject, uh, which is ESG, environmental, social and governance issues, and whether companies are finally walking the walk rather than just putting it in their annual report about how amazing they're going to be and amazing corporate citizens. Um, What sense do you get that there is a proper change happening among companies and investors demanding change? I think mean,
1: there's definitely been a change I mean that's I mean that's for sure if I look if I look over my career uh you know if you even just to be honest like four or five years ago ESG was still I'd say a bit of a a bit of a specialist area it, you know it was something that w- was a really important issue if you were a company in certain sectors um you know typically you know kind of sectors that maybe were a bit sort of socially questionable or obviously the energy the energy sector um i'd say now it's it is basically everywhere you know every company and every sector uh you know has to you know have a credible esg strategy and has to show how how their approach to esg is consistent with their business model um and you know and is consistent with you know the aims of yeah, particularly the you know when it comes to decarbonisation and the Paris Accord. Um, now, obviously, you know for some companies, you know it's you know it's sort of easier to comply. You know, if you if you're an energy company or a utility company, you know, it's you know it's a much you know some it's, it's a trickier prospect because you know you you know your business model involves you know it is you know, by definition quite a quite a co2 intensive business um for other companies you know it's it's less of an issue uh and i'd i'd say it's more about the disclosure than necessarily a kind of dramatic change or at least the changes that have to be made are not are not that significant um you know for businesses that maybe aren't particularly big polluters anyway Uh, But it's definitely something that is, you know, is real. And I I don't think it's going to go away. I I think it's, you know, I think it's going to, it's here to stay.
0: Now, one of the more um, CO2 intensive companies in the world is, of course, Royal Dutch Shell. Uh, And they were the subject of a court order in the Netherlands uh, very recently, which could have major ramifications, not just for that company, but for other companies as well, especially in the fossil fuel business. Uh, a lower court uh, in the Netherlands has ruled effectively ordering Shell to cut its footprint and to accelerate its kind of march towards net zero. Um, we've also seen board members elected uh, to Exxon, uh, which uh, which could change the direction of travel for that very fossil fuel intensive company.
1: Yes, I mean the the shell uh, the, the shell situation. I kind of find quite extraordinary, actually. Uh, and in some ways, I've, I would say I'm quite concerned by it. Um, first, it's extraordinary to see a court interfere or effectively try to dictate the policy of a, of, a, of a large company. I mean, we haven't really seen that happen before. And I agree with you that that is potentially set to precedent, not just in the energy sector, by the way. You know, that could affect companies in many other sectors. Um, uh, why it concerns me is because... I, I'm. I don't think it's going to going to help at all in in achieve in achieving the ultimate um, objective that we all want here, which is decarbonisation and to you know, limit limit the rise of um, global temperatures. And um, there seems to be a view, uh, which obviously the court held, and so and certainly the you know the, the the people that bought this case, that that somehow the energy companies are the main problem here, and and therefore the solution by kind of getting forcing energy companies to to decarbonize their businesses faster that that's somehow going to help us to get to price court. You know, it's not gonna work like that because this is a demand side problem. Um, you know it's it, consumers.
0: It's consumers need to
1: change their behavior as well radically. Yeah. And Shell, I mean just through stats, I mean Shell Shell is a I mean it's a I mean, it's a big company, but in terms of in terms of the global production of energy, um, or even fossil fuels, it's it's a minnow. I mean it's you know it, yeah, even if you factor in all of their marketing and distribution marketing which is, includes a huge amount of of um uh, oil and gas uh, and other types of energy that is not that they don't produce themselves from their own upstream it's it's still only about five percent um, of the total uh, and this is the, the, these companies i mean they they make Uh, investment decisions on you know multi-decade time horizons uh and that's what they're doing at the moment um when you know they're thinking about you know reducing the investment into the oil and gas and the fossil fuel part of business and putting more investment into the renewable side Um, i mean for a court to say that they have to get meet their 2035 target by 2030 i to be honest in practical terms the easiest way for shell to do that would just be to sell some more assets um and unfortunately you know if they do that the, the buyers will be private companies they will be private equity or, or national oil companies you know from parts of the world that
0: it won't be bound by dutch courts
1: no we're by dutch courts and prop you know may well not agree with the eu's view on on you know climate change um and may well have different you know aims and objectives, and of course will not will not be subject to the, the governance um, oversight that a company like Shell is subject to.
0: Saudi Aramco and Gazprom and those guys.
1: Yeah, and and that's why I say it concerns me because because I because I I actually think it it may well end up having a negative outcome and and actually make it harder to get you know where where we want to get to. Um, and the, the other point, the broader point here, is just around that these companies um uh, and and the the role that they can play in facilitating um the tran- transition i mean we talked about how it's fundamentally a demand side problem you, you know really you have to kind of we have to find ways to shift the shape of demand um away from fossil fuel intensive products to to um you know forms of energy that are less co2 intensive well these companies have some of the solutions already i mean just take one for example, um, if you look at the jet fuel industry, uh, jet fuel, jet fuel is is about five or six percent of um, liquids demand. Um, so you know it's significant, um, but but it's it, it's been relatively it's a, it's quite a tricky one to find alternatives. You can't really build an electric plane, or at least not 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 yet, and probably not for a long That's time. It. Um, but there are there is a, there are ways you can you can do it, and there's sustainable aviation fuel, um, which is much has a much lower CO two footprint. Shell can produce that. Um, there's other companies that can produce it as well,
0: but it's three times the price. Will consumers pay that extra price? Yeah,
1: yeah. Or will yes? Or will governments step in to mandate that? The airlines have to buy this this fuel, and therefore, you know, the, the market will then you know determine the price, and it will get factored into ticket prices, etc. Um, you know, if that happens, then I'm sure I'm sure the industry will develop, and the, the fuel will be produced. But it, it's not, you know, Shell and companies like Shell are not going to produce this sort of thing if there's no demand for it. Stay with us, Matthew. We'll be right back.
0: Now, the Brunner Investment Trust is managed in the UK, Matthew, but it's certainly not a British-obsessed fund. I thought, though, that we might take a look at the UK now that almost six months have elapsed since it formally left the structures of the EU, as well as started the vaccination programme in January, and how this has played out on the economy here and shares and how it might have affected the portfolio.
1: Yeah, so I, so the UK. Uh, I mean, if we look over a long period of time, so we look over the last five years or in the last ten years, and um, the UK stock market uh, has has been a pretty disappointing. Um, to be honest, it's been one of, one of the worst performing uh, markets, certainly certainly of the um, you know the the Western. Um, equity markets, and now the main reason for that is actually not Brexit. Uh, it's it's to do with the sector composition uh, of the market itself, uh, particularly the FTSE 100, which is the majority of it's a it's a market cap weighted index, and so the, the majority is of the index comes from the FTSE 100, and particularly um, the twenty or so largest companies. Uh, and that's I would say there's a there's a preponderance of um, what I would call old economy companies that that are just struggling to grow, kind of banks, um, quality, you know, energy companies, um, you know, some sort of retail, food retail businesses, uh, and they, th- those those companies have not really been, you know, front and centre at all uh, for the last 10 years, and many of them have actually, you know, they've they just operationally not performed very well either. So that's really weighed down on, on the performance of the UK stock market. The, the, then more recently, over the last five years, we have obviously had Brexit, which um, introduced a a, a a kind of a, what can only be described as sort of dysfunction into the market, um, because we had uh, just a lot of outflows. You know, foreign investors fled the market um, as we had this sort of uh, this thing kind of hanging over the economy and the market that that it wasn't actually causing huge negative outcomes at the at the the economic level but it was nobody knew what the what the solution was going to be and there was always this prospect of no deal and everything was going might fall off a cliff you know in a month's time Um, and that that particularly impacted the mid and small cap uh, stocks and the more domestically oriented uh, companies um, where, you know, valuations at times got down to uh, really, really low levels. Um, then uh, what we've seen, um, and also obviously then COVID came as well, and we, we, we unfortunately didn't handle COVID uh, very well until recently. Uh, we, you know, we have one of the worst COVID experiences in terms of both health outcomes and economic outcomes. Um, now, in the last six to nine months, we've seen a, a bit of a, a, a turnaround uh, as the vaccine rollout has um, actually, you know, Proved, proved really successful um you know we've we're you know one of the most advanced uh, countries in the world in terms of vaccinating the population and, and that's um led to a degree of optimism that you know the economy can kind of reopen again and um and you know we'll be able to sort of get back to some sort of normality at the same time of course we did have a resolution to brexit um you know not a perfect resolution um you know got kind of pretty light deal but at least it provides some uh degree of kind of clarity certainty to the situation it may not be what people wanted it may not be what businesses wanted but at least they can now plan uh, you know going forward from here uh, and so there's 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 definitely an optimism uh, that the that the economy the domestic economy can start to recover some of that um you know some of what was lost over that five-year period of sclerosis uh, and you sort of, and you know, that's you kind of seen that really with the with the strong outperformance of
0: um, the mid and the small caps, the uh, uh, domestically oriented stocks. How has Brunner positioned itself in relation to Brexit? Given the fact that Britain uh, is now seeking new newer markets, has left the single market and the customs union, and there is still some uncertainty because there are still transition phases, as you know, to be undergone. Uh, for that how's the fund performed and how is it positioned in relation to brexit
1: yeah so so we we manage the portfolio as a global portfolio so we we don't really look at kind of uk stocks in a different way to how we would look at us stocks or german stocks we, you know we, we put them through the same um, investment uh philosophy and process uh, and so to get into the portfolio you know they the you know, they need to kind of stand up um, on their own merits compared to everything else that we can invest in um, uh, around the world i'd say i'd say the main opportunities that we found though um, if you go back to those two reasons for the underperformance um it's that second reason the 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 dysfunction um uh, from because of brexit yeah we did find that 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 threw up quite a few opportunities actually amongst some of the more domestically oriented businesses um and yeah we added some companies like St. James's Place, which is a you know, the leading um, one of the leading wealth managers in the UK. Um, Tymon, uh, which is a, a, a company that sells products into the housing market. S3, uh, a very good recruitment business. Um, Helical, one of the leading real estate businesses in the UK. All of those were, were, you know, we've owned or added to at, at really quite attractive valuations um, you know, over the last kind of three years or so. Uh, and they've all performed very well in the last... The last few months um so i that's our sort of focus is very much at kind of the stock specific level where we don't really kind of look too much at our overall uk exposure um because you say because so much of the uk is dominated by these these kind of large most of them kind of global companies that you know quite frankly because they're listed in the uk doesn't really matter a great deal to us um and they're not impacted really by brexit either um it's much more of a kind of stock specific um, approach that we that
0: we take. Aviva. Uh, sold a pretty substantial stake in Bronner. can you explain to us what the significance of that is for the fund matthew
1: yeah sure so without going into sort of very sort of long detailed history I mean, essentially what what's happened is um uh, if you go back several years um uh, there was a a beaver uh, was involved in a the company of beaver was involved in a in a corporate transaction they acquired one of their co- competitors and as a result of that they ended up with uh, quite a large stake in Brunner, uh, about 20%. Uh, this was going back about five years, five or six years, uh, and uh, and several other investment trusts as well, actually. Uh, and it was well known to the stock market that they were not long-term holders of any of their investment trust stakes. Uh, and because of that, it's effectively, that 20% has effectively been an overhang um, on, the, on the Brunner shares, uh, sort of ever since, really, um, because everybody sort of knew that there was a quite a large seller in the market. Uh, what's happened in the last, uh, well, the last six to nine months, uh, but it, it completed a month or two ago is Aviva have um, exited their their position. So they, they've sold all of their shares. Uh, and so that's a, that's a positive for for the, certainly for the trust um, and the share price going forward, because it means we've got a more diversified shareholder register now. You know, that 20% has gone to a wide range of, of um, investors, both large and small, uh, and that means that going forward, um, where we, we we think there's you know the, the, certainly if you look at the discount that the shares trade on, there's every reason to think that um, that discount can um, can can narrow considerably from here.
0: Obviously, the usual caveats, uh, Matthew. But looking at the share price, and of course, future performance bears no relationship often to past performance. Um, the share price of B U T Brunner Investment Trust uh, over the past six months has been a lovely little curve from bottom left to top right. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. We're we're pleased with the performance, uh, the recent performance. Um, Joe, jo. I mean, two factors driving that. Um, clearly, obviously, first is just the the performance of the net asset value, uh, which has been decent. Um, you know, decent growth over the last uh, six to nine months or so. Uh, but we've also benefited at the share price level from that discount uh, narrowing uh, somewhat. Um, I think as we look forward from here, um, my 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 objective is to deliver uh, more of the same. Um, you know, continue to to deliver good performance and grow that NAV, and and then hopefully we can
0: um, you know we can bring that discount in in a, in a bit more as well. Thank you very much. Net asset value for those of us uh, who aren't familiar with NAV. Thank you very much, Matthew, as ever, the lead portfolio manager for the Brunner Investment Trust. That's all we have time for in this episode of Connected Investor. Thank you for joining me. Make sure you're subscribed. So smash that subscribe button, as the kids say. Uh, Wherever you get your podcast. you can listen to Connected Investor on uh, uh, all sorts of platforms, Acast and Apple, whatever, uh, so that you don't uh, miss it. And now, thank you all for listening. We value your views. Uh, We're keen to know what you think. So message us, please, through the website which is www.brunnerbrunner.co.uk from Matthew from me Joe Lynam ta-ta for now bye-bye